And I remember that there's no place like Vermont in a way. Hi, welcome to Wicked Yankee Adventures. It's a podcast series that brings you behind the scenes on Wicked Yankee TV stories we've done in the past. I'm your host for today's podcast, Bucky Lewis. The wrestling in the background you hear is my dog, Molly, rolling around in the pine needles. But my partner, Tara, and I travel the Northeast and find the great adventures to inspire people to get out and about, even in their own backyard. Recently, we did a story on fishing. Over 50 million people fish each year in the United States. So we went to Vermont Fly Fishing School in Coochie, Vermont, and met up with Pete Meyer, the guide and owner of Vermont Fly Fishing School. And it was very intriguing. We went to the White River with flies. Tara had never fished with flies before. We caught a ton of fish. It was great. Barbless hooks, catch and release and it got us, no pun intended, hooked. So we recently did a behind the scenes cover with Pete, and this is a very interesting story on how many fish are in New England and what's native, what isn't. So let's listen in. We met Pete when we um, traveled up to Queechy, Vermont to do some fly fishing, and Pete was our fly fishing guide with Vermont Fly Fishing School. And that was the first time I've ever fly fished. Cool. That it's a big good. growing industry, right? It, it is. It is. It's, it's, you know, it's a way for you to sort of touch base with the natural world, you know, and, and the fishing part is sort of the gravy of all that. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a very immersive uh, sport. So you're literally in the river, you know, and you're, and you're trying to focus in on, on catching a fish. And in the meantime, you know, you're also in a, in a natural setting where many things can happen as far as other animals and birds. And um, you just, you're, you're immersed in the whole spectrum of life when you're in a river like that. So it's, um, it's a great experience to catch fish and learn a new skill and all that kind of stuff as well. So when you come off the river, um, especially for your first time, you got this sort of feeling of inner peace um, and excitement at the same time. So... That's, that's kind of the gist of, of what the, the scope of fly fishing can bring you. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about how the drought affects the fish? And you also said the rainbow trout came from the West. Yeah. What, what we want, um, how we think you can help our listeners mm. is that you're going to be able to help people that are new to the New England area that are sure. getting involved in fishing for the first time. So if you can yeah. explain a little bit about what type of fish are actually in our New England rivers and how do they get there? Well, you know, in Vermont, I'll speak for Vermont. Um, uh, the, the fishery here, uh, you know, originated with salmon and brook trout, pretty much. That's what existed in, in New England um, when the settlers got here, you know. Um, along with some of those settlers came some avid fishermen. Um, and fly fishing has been around for forever, really. Um, as soon as someone figured out how to mimic a bug on the water, um, it, it, uh, you know, and originated in Scotland is one of the uh, original areas where fly fishing started. Um, so the trout that we have here, because these wealthy fishermen wanted to catch browns, they wanted to catch rainbows. They, so those were imported. Once they figured out in the late 1800s how to culture eggs and move them around the world, then they started taking trout from 
Europe and bringing them here and from the west of the United States and bringing them over here. Um, long story. See, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. I thought they just somehow found their way, <laughs> way here. I didn't realize. So they've been doing this for quite, quite a few years. For a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, for instance, striped bass are an Atlantic species. Uh, they originated here in the Atlantic. However, late 1800s, they brought them in the, to the San Joaquin watershed, you know, which it empties into the San Francisco Bay, and they stock striped bass there. And there's striped bass in the Pacific now. Uh, that but they, is so cool. They brought them by train all the way to the West Coast. Once they figured out how to do, how to preserve them and keep them alive. Uh, so same with the trout. So a lot of the fish that get stocked in the rivers in, in Vermont are rainbow trout. Uh, rainbow trout are easy to raise and they tend to do pretty well in our rivers. Um, as long as they don't have to try to, you know, deal with thermal problems. Most of the time they, they have a pretty high survival rate. Um, and so those stocks of rainbows that we have to this day, originated from a line of rainbow trout in California in the McLeod River system. So how did you find that out? <laughs> oh, you, you get interested in, you know, you, you have this quarry that you're chasing and you just want to know why, where are they from? What, 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 what's a, what is this all about? I mean, it's one thing to follow the stock and truck around. It's another thing to try to figure out where these fish came from. You know, another thing that Vermont does though, that's interesting is they'll, they have a, now, steelhead are a migratory form of rainbow trout that generally migrates like salmon to, to, the, to the oceans and then migrates back in like salmon. But they are a rainbow trout. And they've taken some um, steelhead stock and brought that over here and stocked some of our rivers. Like, for instance, Lake Champlain has a population of steelhead in it. Uh, uh, Lake Memphremagog has a population of steelhead in it. And those fish do run the rivers in the spring. And you can go to the falls um, up where the <clears throat> Willoughby River runs. Um, it, it runs into Lake Memphremagog. Those big trout run up and jump the falls. And it's like a, a spring. Holy cow. And some of them are, you know, 30 inches long. And they're jumping up the falls. You can go up there and watch them and take pictures of them even. But have so, you ever... Have you ever um... Speaking of steelhead, have you ever uh, fished the Salmon River? In yes, I have. I have. Yep. I've gone over there for steelhead and, and had some success. And it's the same idea. So Vermont has, so these, these, essentially, it's, if, if you think of it, it's a way for the state to not only promote fishing, but make money and sell licenses because people want to catch these fish. And so the brown trout, for instance, originated in Germany and in Scotland. They were brought here the same way. So all the browns that are not in their original homeland of Europe, anywhere in the world, were, were brought there. So New Zealand is another example. Uh, South America, there's an incredible brown trout fishery in T Tierra del Fuego. Those browns were brought there. So Vermont's the same way. Now we still do have brook trout in Vermont, which is the original trout, yeah. original native. That's actually in the char family, technically. So it's not a true trout, it's more of a char. Um, and so there are still brookies here in, in Vermont. They stock brook trout ponds with brook trout. And that's a thing that's still happening here as well. But primarily when we go, like when, when, when we went fishing, we were sort of focusing on the rainbows in that particular river because they do do a pretty heavy stocking in there. And, um, and that's a great place to bring beginners because the action can be good. So, well, Professor Meyer, which I think you're going to be a frequent guest because you have so much good information. 
couple things. Mm. First off, I don't know what a char is, and if you could explain what that is. And second off, what time of year would you be able to see the steelheads jumping? I think that would be an amazing sight for yeah. people in New England to take their families and or friends and just go up there and be able to see nature in action. And bring a fishing rod because if you hook one of those things, it's, you, it's like something that – it's a buck and bronco. They really fight. They jump. They, they're very acrobatic fish. Especially when they're spawning, they're you know they get a little mad when you hook them because you're soft. <laughs> the, so they, what time of year is that? That's in the springtime, and the state goes there and electroshocks the top pool before the falls and takes some of those fish out of the river, and then ex- and then they extract the the milt and the eggs from those fish, and then they do release the fish again eventually. So they're they're perpetuating that steelhead population there with. Uh, they're supplanting it, but they're using the eggs from the actual migrating fish. Uh, to- is, it, is it important? Are the migrating fish, because Bucky and I have often talked about what is it that caused these fish, that instinct, that urge to make that upriver? I mean, that's an amazing feat that they have. Well, um, they, they, you know, in the instance of these fish, they, they set this up. This is a manufactured fishery, but they gave them the place to do it all. So those rivers and the lake provide them with that. There's no ocean there, but there's this huge lake. So what these fish are, are a success story because they figured it out. So you're taking those, that, that drive to go back to where they were born is just in them. They can't get rid of it. So every spring they run up that river, just like salmon do, and they jump falls and they're incredible when you hook them and all that. Um, And, you know, it's, it's, it's just their instinct. So they're the successful fish that survived the fishermen and the predators and all the stuff. And what, you know, so that small little bit of that population that makes it back, you want to take the eggs from them because you're continuing those good genes. Absolutely. Now, would that be when we have stopped at fisheries, like the Warren fish hatchery and different places mm-hmm. in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. um, are, would some of those migrating species be at those fish hatcheries? You know, it really depends on what the hatchery is focused on. So we have what we call a put-and-take fishery, okay? These fish are actually sterile. They're not even able to spawn. They're, they're called – so they're and they do that so they don't interfere with the wild stock and all that. Okay. But those fish are kind of meant to be caught and, for lack of a better word, eaten, consumed, you know? Um and they sort of provide a boon for the natural predators that live in the river, including big wild trout. Um, but they also get fished out pretty readily. Um, and they're kind of designed to do that. And that's one of the things to sort of promote the buying of fishing licenses. Um, so this whole stocking thing was a fishing license, you know, cost of raising the trout. How much money do we make on the on the licenses. And in addition to that, the sales tax from all uh, fishing equipment is put into the fund to protect the wildlife. What, what uh, uh, we, we're doing a, a several stories on uh, uh, ecosystems. So we're doing one with NOAA, uh, Uni- University of New Hampshire. Yep. Um, what, what has uh, not, I don't want to get negative here, but what is a natural predator for some of those fish you talk about? Um, bald eagles, uh, um, a um, osprey, to name two, pretty good, pretty major ones. And then you have mink, you have otter, um, you have 
fish ducks like mergansers. Um, oh, I yeah. forgot that the mergansers eat fish. Yeah. And loons, loons will eat them too. Loons will eat trout. Sure. Yeah, that's why we did the buy. Uh, we participated the lead in the tackle buy, buyback. Lead tackle buyback. Uh, that they yeah. put yes, the here. lead, the whole lead thing for sure kills waterfowl. Absolutely. And that's why they have steel shot for duck hunting now and all that. Um, but as far as what the trout do when you put all these, put, you know, 7,000 trout into an almost, you know, not empty, but 7,000 trout's a lot to just put into a river, right? Yeah. So they're, they're going to uh, inevitably, some of those fish will just die. And, you know, the, the crayfish will eat them and the, the little, Critters that live in the bottom that are predatory or eat that kind of stuff will eat them. So there is kind of a boon for the natural world just because of that. Um, and then, you know, you get guys who don't really care about fly fishing or anything. They just want to catch fish. So they use any means that they can, which is totally legal and whatever. And there's a limit to what they can keep. But, you know, you take 7,000 trout, you take 10,000 people and everyone keeps six fish. You can see what I mean. And one stick of dynamite. Don't forget that. That stick, yeah, right. <laughs> Well, one thing that we love about Pete is he's such a conservationist and a great steward of the land, and he's taught us so much. Pete, you've seen, you, you grew up in Vermont, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was born in uh, Randolph, and I grew up in a town called Barnard, which is a little town kind of north of Woodstock, Vermont. We got a little lake there, so, and some brooks and streams, so I kind of grew up running around in the woods out there. Uh, it was a great place to grow up, really was. So how did you get into fishing when you were younger? You know, I actually caught my first trout when I was three years old with my dad. We actually yeah. talked about that the other day. Yeah, I caught my first brookie. And then, of course, I lived on a lake, so it was kind of just, you know, my great-grandparents had a house right on the lake, so we had boats and sailboats and canoes and all that stuff when I was a kid. And um, it just was, you know, if you weren't fishing, what were you doing? You know? Something was wrong with you. Yeah, well, there was nothing else to do, quite frankly. Swimming, you know, we, we did a lot of cool stuff. We had to, you know, we lived about a mile from the lake, so we rode our bikes down there all the time, and we'd spend just hours and days, you know, on that lake. And then in the wintertime, of course, ice fishing, um, you know. Which we actually, uh, one of the reasons why, um, even though we have met Pete in the field and you've been a great uh, guide and instructor, one of the one of the reasons why we contacted you again to get you onto this podcast is you had gone ice fishing and you had seen, uh, you just want to explore what the other ice fishing hole was like after the people had left and to your amazement and dismay, can you tell our listeners what you saw? Yeah, it was a kind of an unfortunate, unfortunate situation. We, uh, we were fishing, and we actually caught a few very nice pan fish. We were pan fish fishing. We were fishing for kind of dinner, I guess. But pan fish being like sunnies. Sunnies. Sunnies, bluegills, perch, um, uh, pumpkin seeds, rock bass, all that kind of stuff. They're delicious. And it, it's kind of fun. They're delicious, and it, it's pretty fast action. You just fish with really light tackle. So there was other people fishing roughly 100 yards away from us. And when they left, you know, we don't want to have to, we want to drill as few holes as possible. So we said, let's go fish their spot and see what, what they got over there. And yes, to our dismay, when we were walking over, we started noticing dark things on the ice. And when we got there, there was about 30 good sized, um, uh, pumpkin seeds just wow. laying on the ice, many of which were still alive, oh, which I mean, heartbreaking. if you're keeping them to eat them, that's par for the course and you're going to butcher them and all that good stuff. But these guys, I don't know what they were doing with them. We don't know. We weren't able to ask them because they had been gone a while. But we well, were... I think 
We weren't too too happy about it. So we kept them. We kept Good them. job. Well, because you say sometimes, uh, I'm sorry, Bucky, what were you going to say? Uh, what, I forget, but I, uh, what I wanted to ask you, Pete, I, yeah. one of the things that is so important for people, our listeners to know about is one of the most healthiest, uh, memories that I have, as you do also, uh, is fishing with your family, with your parents, with your grandparents. I remember uh, one of the earliest times I went fishing was for smelt. Yeah. Have you ever done that at night? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's yep. really exciting. At night. At night, yeah. With lights. With lights and, and nets, yeah. And nets, yeah. Pete, can you tell us about the smelt? Even though my background's in environmental management and I look at ecosystems and nature, sure. and Bucky's the entertainer that, that's a New Hampshire boy at heart, uh, I don't know a lot about smelt, and Bucky was shocked. But if you grow up and travel like and live in the cities, you don't know what smelt are, really. Well, smelt are both salt and freshwater uh, critters. Um, we have what we call rainbow smelt that live in our lakes uh, here in New England. And they are a forage fish for uh, trout, mostly, uh, because they live in the in the same thermal climes that the trout do. So they, they're like, a, they're the food fish for the, for the trout. They're also food for us. Uh, but they're, you know, they're like four or five, six inches long. Eat them whole, uh, yeah. Eat them whole. Like sardines? Kinda. You just fry them right, we fry, we dredge them in flour and fry them right on the ice. I mean, it's, right on the ice. That's right. it's yeah. sort of a traditional, and it's a, you know, it, it can, you know, you can keep 75 of them at, at, a, at, a, at a shop. Um, I don't need that many to eat myself, personally, <laughs> so so I don't I don't eat that many, but um, I don't keep that many. But it is fun to go out and do the whole. We cook food in the and we have shanties set up. And if you go to a place like Lake Fairley on a Friday or Saturday, usually a Saturday night, there's quite a crew on the ice. It's quite a crew. It's a scene. It's a great community. Yeah. One thing that we love about fishermen, and of course, I was pulling up some statistics: uh, fifty million people got into recreational fish, recreational fish last year. Um, a, a great majority of them fished at least 11 times throughout the year. 36% are women. Uh, 10 million of those are young kids. And 44% of people that fish put the fish back in the water. Yes. And that leads me back just to, to one thing about those fish that we kept the other night. You know, it's, if I can't be clear enough, it's if you're going to eat some fish, and you, you want to have a, a meal of fish, that's that's awesome. That's what the resource is there for. But don't leave 30 feet fish on the ice. It's just not fair to the environment. It's not fair. You know, so yeah, throw them back. You know, if, you, if you're not going to grill it, don't kill it, I guess is the... That's it. what I really, what I love talking to you about. And Bucky and I um, have met some wonderful stewards and conservationists out on the road. I think hearing any tips that you can give people for going into fishing, whether it's um, capture and release. Well, the, first, the, first, the first tip to give them is uh, to have Pete as a guide if they had not know anything <laughs> about fishing, right? Well, well, Pete, if you could run, like Bucky says, if you could run through a, the importance of meeting with an educator like yourself and getting a fishing license and what the fishing licenses go for, I don't think people realize that that's a very important part of conservation. Yeah. You know, some people are lucky enough to grow up fishing like I did. And some people, um, you know, want to try it. They're just interested in it. You know, some of these cool TV shows with people fishing on them and all that, 
it's inspired interest in fishing in general. Um, when you meet with someone or go, like when I go to a strange river, I often get a guide myself because that person has studied that. He knows what they're doing. And to get yourself kind of a leg up, it's good to go fishing with someone who can just, you know, give you the tools and help you get sort of that first step out of the way. Um, and then maybe you don't like it and you, you don't have to go out and buy a bunch of equipment and find out you don't like something. Or maybe it's inspired you enough to want to go out to L.L. Bean and outfit yourself enough to, to, to get started on your own. So that's my ultimate goal because the conservation side of it comes from spending time in these places. And if you go to places and you find a bunch of beer cans every time you go, eventually it's going to rub you the wrong way. It's just that way. So um, I think that, you know, People drive by rivers every day and don't realize what they're looking at. It's just a thing going down the whatever, you know. Um, but when you immerse yourself in there and get a little bit more hands-on, um, it, it tends to make you appreciate what you have, what we have. Well, so. you, train, you train yourself to think a certain way. One of the things that I really enjoyed when Bucky and I went out with you on the river, you'd say, hey, Tara and Bucky, look there, look. See, right underneath that rock, there's a fish. I could not believe you were like Eagle Eye Pete. You because you had trained your eye yeah. to see things. You yes. also one of the things that when we did the TV show, you got a, a book and beautiful flies. The flies were so beautiful, iridescent uh, hues of purples and pinks and greens. Yeah. They, they they looked like jewelry and gems. And yeah. you said, match the hatch, match the hatch. So part yeah. of being a good fisherman is you learn by doing and being out there and it's yeah. constant education. And even though you think it's a certain type of year where you need certain flies, you're yeah. looking out there, you're like, wait a second, it's different than what I thought. Can That's... you talk a little bit about, how, about um, how you need to match the hatch and what that means? Yeah, I mean, what fish all fish if you figure any it could be bluefin tuna to perch you know it's there are certain things that they tend to gravitate towards for food um and those things change throughout the year knowing that is a really big part of being able to you know connect with a with a fish um so as the year goes on i just can speak for trout we'll just speak about trout trout um kind of refine the, what they eat as the summer goes along because there's just less of it so um yeah knowing what's going on in the rivers and there's books written on that too so essentially it really boils down to studying what you're fishing and by immersing yourself in the study of that you will learn what they like to eat when they like to eat it um and then you can take that and apply it on the river and then of course the river might throw you a wild card once in a while being able to sort of figure that out is also a great part and a, a fun part of fly fishing having to figure out what's going on here and what can i use to catch fish if uh if i can uh, jump in here to uh to for our listeners who are newbies and want to get into fishing would you suggest to them joining a, a sportsman's club or a fishing club or trout unlimited or any of those groups well trout unlimited um I, i'm affiliated with them through membership um their sole purpose for existence is to improve rivers is to improve ecos help improve ecosystems um and that's 
that and very little of their money goes to administration. In fact, that they post that every year. Every dime they make goes into these projects to improve the quality of the rivers, which ultimately improves the fishing. Um, so they're a great source to go to. And yes, I do encourage joining uh, Trout Unlimited because uh, your buck goes pretty far with them. And they're, all, they're, they're, they're just there to make the fishing better, you know. Well, we don't have much time left. Ten minutes, yeah. I think, Tara. So, what, oh, what yeah, do you want to? What do you want to talk about, Pete, uh, and tell our people that is important to you about fishing? Well, you know, if you have an opportunity to take a kid fishing and to teach them something about, you know, being out in the wild and and just, you know, get away from the screens and the video games. Those are always there. That we know that, but to get outside with someone who appreciates. Uh, their surroundings and can impart some of that appreciation to a youngster um, is going to be the best way to create new conservationists and people who are going to care about uh, our environment. So that's really it. Take a kid fishing at every chance you get. Well, Tara and I can't wait to get out fishing with you this year. Hopefully yeah. earlier the better. Come on especially up. After this, especially after this year. We'll get well, you out. Is, yeah. When does fishing season start and when's the best time of day to go fishing? <clears throat> Generally, it starts in April. Um, trout season opens up, I think it's the second Saturday in April, generally, um, and then runs through the end of October. Uh, I'd say probably prime fishing time right, regularly falls right mid-May. Right in mid-May, the temperatures and everything kind of comes together, and, and the, the fish are, are uh, and they've, most of the stockings been at least initiated. Uh, and then through June can be really, really good. The the heat of summer is really dictates how the fishing remains to be good for trout. So we hope for a cool summer. Go for a cool, wet summer. <laughs> so when Off people are all bummed out when it's raining, the fishermen are going, hooray! Going, yeah. <laughs> That's hey, I got, fantastic. I, I got one more question for you, Pete. Yeah. What, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the phases of the moon and how that helps with fishing or doesn't help fishing. What do you, What's your take on that? I mean, I've experienced uh, that in saltwater with stripers for sure because it does affect tides and tides affect the fishery for sure. Um, that being said, uh, I haven't, you know, gone out and really investigated what moons do with freshwater fish, but I would say that if the moon was out and really bright, it might encourage some of those night feeders to feed more because they can see better. Um, but um, that's, that's an interesting topic of, of conversation. I do know the salt definitely with the tidal effects from the moon, definitely it, it, it impacts the fishing in many different ways. What other fish, uh, we, we know that there's a certain shark. What is that, Tara, that uh, swims both in salt water? Oh, the brine, bull shark? Bull shark brine and, yeah. and freshwater. Scary shark, we call that. Yeah. Yeah, super scary. <laughs> that's why you should only swim in clear water. Swim with well, the water anything that's directly connected to the ocean. You never know. Um, well, like schools bull of bluefish can be dangerous. People don't realize the yeah. uh, massive rivers, uh, as beautiful as they are for fishing, you have to be educated because you get some. You get a blue, a big bluefish in your boat can be dangerous. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Well, I've I've been I've dodged a few. You know, uh, I wouldn't say they were trying to. Well, I th I would say they were trying to get a hold of me. But, um, yeah, you really got to be careful with a bluefish. I don't care where you are with them. 
they have you have to really watch them because they're like a piranha. They really are. I don't think people realize how, how sharp those fish are. Well, we would like to have you on almost on, if possible, on a regular basis to do some of these series. Sure. Uh, if you have some quick words of advice that we put over the New England airwaves on our radios, sure. uh, uh, what's some quick, like a uh, 40, 50 minute, uh, 40, 50 minute, uh, 40, 50 second, second um, <laughs> uh, sound bite that you could shout out to the listeners? on fishing and what they should look out for um what they should look out for or, or what they no, should do what they look what, what they look should do for, for conservation how well, they should act at fisherman etiquette yeah well you know one of the primary things that i always do is i bring a, an extra couple of little of those shopping bags with me i know that they're kind of like not politically correct but they are easy to stow, stow in your pocket and you know be prepared to pick some garbage up take something away with you you know it's you didn't put it there, that's for sure. But um, we start. We have to stop thinking that way. That you know, just because we didn't put it there, we shouldn't help try to get it out of there. So, um, you know, one of the things you can do as an individual is is just pick up some of that extraneous garbage on your way off the river. You know, make a mental note where where it was, and and you don't have to carry it around with you the whole time you're fishing. Just try to make an effort to do that, and that's just one of the things we can all do as individuals to help. Um, another thing is, is, you know, try to learn what it's like to read the bottom of a river without actually being able to see it. And you can do that by looking at the surface. It's trial and error, but it's one of the things that helps you learn where fish live and where, why they're in one spot and not in another spot. So that all comes from trial and error and actually fishing a river. But you'll start to learn that a lot of those things translate into every spot you go to. So, well, give, give us uh, give us one more um, soundbite here, a quick one on uh, basically promoting this series that all three of us are doing now with fishing and how we're going to be coming back to it. You know, the, uh, talking well, yeah. talking to you. Well, you know, thanks guys for you know, thanks Bucky and Tara for doing this because uh, part of this part of the importance of what we're doing here, I believe, is that we're educating people about what they have in their backyard and hopefully we inspire people to take care of the things that they can get to easily you know and if we all do that right in our backyard just imagine how how much we can help the environment and make places more fun to go to and and make the fishing better for that matter so what's the name of your uh, and do one more um promoting yourself as uh, what you want to promote yourself as the people who get in touch with you so um, if you go on Facebook, you look up the Vermont Fly Fishing School, um, you can contact me through via uh, that page. Um, if learning how to fly fish is something that interests you, I'm certainly happy to, to, to help you learn that. We provide all equipment. Um, we provide transportation to and from the river. And you'll learn the initials of fly fishing. If you want to go kayak fishing on a lake for largemouth bass, whatever, we can do. We can get you on the river. It's it's. It's not big boats and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's more intimate. We go to smaller lakes and smaller ponds where there's just less pressure and less people. And the, the experience can be awesome. So get a hold of me. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, we've enjoyed our times with you up in Vermont. And there is adventures to be had right in, the, in your own backyard. Right. And so much to learn. So we're hoping to have you on more. And we'll talk more about fly fishing and other types of fishing. Yep. And what it's like to be an outdoorsman in New England. 
Well, I look forward to seeing you guys again. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Pete. Oh, thanks so much, Pete. All right. And I remember that there's no place like Vermont in a way.